Thank you, sir, for leading us, and thank you for those that serve with Greg and lead us every single Sunday. We are so grateful for you all for being here. The weatherman said that it could rain off and on all throughout this morning. So if it, you hear the sound like what you're hearing right now of rain hitting the roof, you don't need to look around like going, what is that? We know what it is, it's just we haven't heard it in a while. So it's an opportunity for you just to smile and go, you know what, I'm glad I'm in here and not out there, and I'm glad that when I get out there, the rain will still be out there. So if you start hearing the sound, it's not that we're got a missile incoming, it's not like that we're being, um, being attacked by anybody, it's just God's grace coming down upon all of us, and so it's an opportunity just to smile and just think, thank you, Lord, for even when we don't deserve you are good to us. So if you hear that kind of stuff, you'll just, I'm just telling you what it is. It's going to be rain and it's going to be good. I was in a, a church service. The previous church I served at knew the storm was coming. There was a slight chance of hail, very slight. And I was about 10 minutes from the service being over and in the church sanctuary they were at, the ceilings were a lot shorter and the hail the size of ping pong balls started descending upon the roof and the noise and I just, everybody stopped listening to me. No one cared what I had to say. Everybody was just thinking about their vehicles outside. That's not a concern today. So I'm just hope that you and I can stay focused on what God has to say to us through his word. I hope you have a Bible with you, something that you can open up preferably or maybe even something to turn on. And you'll join me in Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three. I hope when you came in, you got a bulletin on the back of that. There'll be some notes if you wanna reference those as we study through God's word together. But we're gonna be in Genesis chapter three this morning. We have been looking at, over the last two weeks, this will be the third week, we've been looking at um, the core values of the church. Just recently, we as a church um, moved in a direction of adopting and embracing three primary core values of the church. The first core value is to build families. The second one is to teach the Bible. And the third one is to be the church. So in light of that, we wanted to take some time on Sunday mornings and address what does this look like? Why do we embrace this? What is, how do we understand this? What is it that makes it a core value of the church? So the last two weeks, and even this morning, we've been talking about what it looks like to build families. And what do we mean by building families? Why is this a core value of the church to build families? Well, you see there at the top of your notes, um, it talks about how do we do this? We support the home by pursuing God's design. So we've been looking at what is God's design. So two weeks ago, we started there in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, talking about God's design for the family, God's design for the home. And remember, I told you, in the, and, and it still remains, that some of you in this room are divorced. Some of you are single. Some of you are widowed. Some of you, your idea of what we see in scripture is not of your reality. And in no way do I want to say that any of you in this room this morning are lacking or less than, but God gives us an ideal and God reminds us that regardless of where your circumstance is in life today, God has a plan for you and God has a plan for your home. And God has a way that you can bring glory and honor to him today, regardless of your circumstance at home. 
So regardless of where you're at, I don't want anybody to feel like they have been dropped off in the margins or this isn't for them, but God gives us his design. He gives us his design for marriage, gives us his design for family, gives us his design for the home. We saw that a couple of weeks ago, and then last week we looked at God's standards. Because God has a design, so therefore then God has a standard, and he has an expectation of how we are to live and what we are to do under the authority and the sovereignty of God. And so he gives them, he gives Adam and Eve right there in Genesis chapter three, he gives them, or Genesis two and Genesis three, he gives them a standard and says, this is what I want you to do. But then we ended off last week in Genesis chapter three, what happened? Eve ate and then Adam ate and sin entered into the world. And from Genesis chapter three, through the rest of the book of the Bible, And from the time you were born to, if the Lord continues to tarry, the time that we die, our lives are marked by the effect of sin. The effect of sin in your life personally, the effect of sin in our world as a culture, the effect of sin in the life of the body of believers. Sin marks and sin affects us more than we realize. So the question that I think that should be asked this morning is, okay, so God gives us a design and then God gives us a standard. So then how do we understand, how do we as a church in 2022 now look forward and say, because God has given us a design and God has given us a standard and we in our humanity have violated it, we have disobeyed it, we have corrupted it, we have disobeyed against it, we have rebelled against it. So now what? Well, in our society today, a lot of times people try to say, well, now I get to make up the rules. I get to make up right and wrong. I get to then decide where we go from here. But God has given us a plan. And so this morning, I want us to see where it talks about how do we build families. We understand that God has given us a plan, even in spite of our sin, even in light of our fallenness, God still has a plan For us, God still has a plan for your home despite its failures in the past, despite its regrets in the past, despite it not being everything that it maybe you maybe desired for it to be or maybe it could have been, but despite of everything that's gone on, God still has a plan moving forward. So this morning, I want us to consider here in Genesis chapter three, it may be an odd text. You may not, you may not understand, you may not have heard this uh, approach before, but I want us to just think about that God still has a plan for our home. So when we're looking at building families and we're looking at building families in this church and in this community, we need to understand that we look at people and say, yes, you are sinful. Yes, you have transgressed the word of God. Yes, you have broken the standards of God. Yes, your life may not reflect the design of God, but yes, God still has a plan for you. We don't look at people and say that you're broken, you're sinful, you're wretched, you're no good, get away. We look at people and say, but God sent his son to die for you. And because of who you are, can be in Christ if you are saved. Christ still has redemption for you. So that is how we build families up. We don't look at them and say, well, we are going to rewrite and redefine what is right and wrong. We don't look at them and say, well, you know what? You're just good enough the way you are. We don't look at them and say, oh, there's no hope for you. We look at families and say, but God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And we build families by showing them hope. So where do we see this hope at? 
Well, here in this passage in Genesis chapter 3, the woman had eaten, the man then had eaten, and if you go along there, I'm going to kind of paraphrase to get down to verse 14, but we started off last week in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. So I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase eight verse 13, verses 8 through 13. So what happened was, is so they ate, they realized their eyes are open, they realized they had sinned against God, they rebelled against God, they realized they were naked, and they're like, no, we can't be doing that. We've got to cover ourselves up. So they went and they hid. Here God comes in the cool of the day in the garden. He's looking for the man and he says, where are you? And Adam finally pokes his head out and says, I was hiding. Why are you hiding? I'm naked. Who told you were naked? Did you eat of the tree of the garden, which I told you not to eat? Adam does the classic Adam. He immediately says, she, she gave it to me and I ate. And then God looks at Eve and says, what have you done? And she points at the serpent, Satan, and says, he did it. He deceived me. So right here you have finger pointing galore and you have this reality that now not only has Adam sinned, but Eve has sinned and sin is present in the world. So starting there in verse 14, God then, in the reality of brokenness, in the reality of fallenness, in the reality that now sin is present and its effect will be perpetual. Now what? I put there in your notes three different points, three different things that I think that we need to understand when it comes to what it looks like to build families in 2022. The first one is God's plan for the home is to know the enemy, to know the enemy. Where do I get that from? Well, let's look at the focus text this morning. So in Genesis chapter three and verse 14, I want you to follow along in your copy as I read aloud, but listen to what God then does. So now sin is entered in the world, fallenness is here, Rebellion is here. All of these things that are true back then are true today, so now what? Well, listen to what, listen to what God says. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What God says to the snake, what God says to the serpent is because of what you have done by leading them into sin, by tempting them into sin, because of what you've done from the rest of you, for the rest of eternity, as far as until the redemption comes, for the rest of this known period of time, there will be enmity, there will be division between you and humans. He says right there, this is the enemy. What is the enemy? It is Satan. But also, I want you to understand, the enemy at the core is sin. You see, it wasn't that Satan was the one that said, because you have listened to Satan, therefore you have disobeyed God. Because they listened to themselves, they disobeyed God. Yes, we understand that Satan is promoting sin. I put there in your notes that he is promoting sin, but we need to understand that at the core, our enemy is not Satan. Our enemy is sin. You may say, well, Spence, how is that to be? How am I supposed to understand that at the core, the enemy is sin? Well, because God tells us and God reminds us that we go to hell, not because Satan exists. We go to hell because of our sin. We don't need to be forgiven of a knowledge of Satan. We need to be forgiven of a practice of sin. 
Satan does not determine that any of us go to hell. It's not Satan comes in and he looks at God and says that one, that one, and that one, they all get to go to hell. No, Satan, yes, he comes in and he promotes sin. Yes, Satan comes in and he puts this sin in front of us, tempting us to sin. But at the end of the day, the greatest enemy in your life and in my life, in our homes and in this church, the greatest enemy is not the presence of Satan. The greatest enemy is the presence of sin. So what he does here in verse 14 and verse 15, and he tells Satan, all right, Satan, you are the main promoter. You are the main person that is trying to get people to sin. But you need to understand, church, and you need to understand people. The reason he's doing this, because here in the garden, God says, from now on, as far as man is alive, you will be against man. Which means no matter where we're at in the world, we're in a battle. We're in a fight. It doesn't matter if it's a sunny day. It doesn't matter if it's a rainy day. It doesn't matter if it's a bright day. It doesn't matter if it's a gloomy day. You and I are in a battle. Satan is continually trying to get us to sin. He is continually putting that sin in front of us, getting you and I to say, you know what? We want to choose that. We want to try that. Some people would say that a certain type of immorality is the oldest tradition in the world. Marketing is the oldest profession in the world. Because what does Satan come here in the garden? He looks at Adam and Eve and he markets sin to them. He tells them, oh, you'll like it. Oh, you'll enjoy it. Oh, it'll be nice to you. It'll be friendly. It's not that, that, not that expensive. Just a few short payments. And he is trying to get them to sin. But notice what we need to understand about the enemy. Notice what we need to understand about Satan is that he is deceptive. That Satan is deceptive. Where do I get that from? Well, if you look back up in verse 13, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Sometimes we forget that the enemy against us is deceptive. We've all, I'm assuming maybe it's just me, but I'm assuming that many of us have received the phone call that we answer it and it it is the automated message. This is the Social Security Administration. You're... Social security has been compromised. Your social security is suspect. You need to call this number. You need to press this number and to resolve it immediately. It's a giant phone scam to try to get you and I to give up our personal information, give up our sensitive information. And then you and I would listen to this and you and I would hear this and say, there is no way we're giving the men any information. Click. It's a scam. We know they are trying to deceive us. But then you walk into the gas station And there's these big, giant, acrylic towers of scratch-off tickets. And all these scratch-off tickets are in there, and they tell you, you know what, if you'll just pay a dollar, there's an opportunity you could win $10,000. You know, if you just give $5, there's an opportunity you could win $25,000. And then they advertise the, the, the jackpot, and they advertise the things, and they say, you know, the jackpot's at $2 billion. And everybody in the room says, well, somebody has to win. Somebody has to be successful at it. And people after people after people show up. They take the money that is not theirs. It's actually God's money that's been entrusted to them. They take the money that God has entrusted to them, and they put it in a game of risk. They gamble with their money. Why? Because somebody has to win. You know this latest jackpot on the Powerball that came? You had a greater chance in this room. You had a greater chance of being struck on the head with a coconut and dying from your injury than winning the Powerball. And yet, 
We will understand the phone scams and we will say that is deception, stay away. And yet how many times do we find ourselves being tempted, being deceived, being led astray and so many other things? So many times in our lives, we forget that Satan is deceptive, which means that Satan will use every crook. He will use every cranny. He will use every attempt. He will use every piece of bait. He will use every lure at his disposal to try to get you and I to bite onto sin, to try to get us to chase after sin and God wants us to know the reason why I believe that God recorded it here in chapter 3 and 14 and verse 15 because he wants us to know you need to understand as a Christian as a follower as a family as a church you are constantly in the battle of sin and the enemy is constantly at work against us so God reminds us, God reminds us as he is speaking and you can just imagine, I just imagine the scene here in my sanctified imagination. I imagine that you have the snake. <laughs> the snake is there and you got Adam and you got Eve and you got God and God looks at all three of them and says, now this is what is going to happen. Snake, you lose your legs. Snake, you are cursed. Snake, you for the rest of your known existence, you are always gonna be fighting against him. And he's looking at Adam and Eve saying, understand, he's the bad guy. He is the enemy so he says know your enemy and in our homes today and especially in our churches and in our marriages we identify a lot of things as being enemies that aren't really enemies or the enemies that are there we don't recognize for the enemies that they are he says know your enemies but then he talks about knowing your challenge to know the enemy and to know the challenge so then you get down to verse 16 and verse, through verse 19, and he looks at the woman, and then he looks at the man. Some of you all are going to get a little tense here for a few moments. It's going to be okay. I love you. You love me. We have to love each other. It's biblical. But he talks about the challenge. And he's going to talk about the challenge between Adam and Eve. Now, it's in the sense of the curse. It's in the sense of the punishment. It's in the sense of the consequence that now takes place because sin has entered into the world. So in verse 16, to the woman, he said, not Spence said, not a preacher said, not the husband said, not Adam said, God said, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your chain and childbearing. In your, in your pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you. First thing I want you to notice when he talks about the challenge, he's looking at both Adam and Eve and he says, now you need to understand the challenge. Here is the challenge. Now look at the woman's role. And I'm not trying to sit here as some misogynistic, some totalitarian, some overbearing guy, but listen to what God says. He says you're going to have pain, much more pain than before in childbirth, and your desire shall be contrary to your husband. I think in the New Living, you may correct me, in the New Living it says your desire to rule over your husband. Here in the text, God looks at the woman and says, you know what? Your wants, your desires, your wishes, your ideas, your plans, all these things, they will be different than your husband's. But your husband, he says in the text I'm looking at, but he shall rule over you. In the Hebrew it's even more stronger than that. It's the idea of having authority over or having dominion. Now, I realize in today's time, everybody looks and goes, we don't like that. We don't agree with that. Fine. But I didn't write it. And what I think God is doing more so than giving the man or the husband a stick to abuse his wife with 
or giving immature boys a stick to try to demand immaturity from. He is showing here is the challenge between a husband and a wife moving forward. You have the woman's role there in verse 16, and then verse 17 down through verse 19, he talks about the man's responsibility. If you notice, and he continues on, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. Notice he doesn't say to the man, okay, so work is your punishment because he'd already put man in the garden. He'd already told man in the garden to till the garden and to keep it. The punishment was, is that he was going to work and work and work and have less and less and less Diminishing returns over and over. He's going to sweat. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a labor to provide for his family. The man's responsibility is that he is going to go to work and he's going to labor at work and he's going to struggle at work and he's going to be challenged at work and it's going to continue for as long as his responsibility lasts. We have too many boys that can shave these days that think that their responsibility is to just play video games and to be comfortable. And we have too many homes these days where the wife is expected to take care of the children, the wife is expected to take care of the home, the wife is expected to cook and to clean and do all the laundry and hold a full-time job because slacker doesn't want to work more than 40 hours. And none of this is honoring to God because you see not only the woman's responsibility, but I'm sorry, the woman's role, but you see the man's responsibility. And so both of these, God is coming in and as God is saying, there is going to be challenges in your home every single day. You want to know why husband and wives have strife in their home? Because God said you're going to have strife in your home. You want to know why you're going to struggle in a marriage? Because he's going to want this and she's going to want that. And God says that is what is going to happen. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. To the man, because you have listened, you're going to work and you're going to work and you're going to work and you're going to labor and you're going to toil and you're not going to have the same fulfillment that you used to have. All these things are true. And when you see these things happen in the world, verse 16 down to verse 19, understand that resistance is a reminder. This resistance that you have, this strife that you have in the home, the strife that you have in relationship, the strife that you have in the workplace, all of these is a reminder of the effect of sin in the world. I've heard this text and other texts like it preached many times where it's used as a stick to try to go after one person or another. I want you to see this morning that not only do we have an enemy that is sin and the sin is promoted by Satan, but I want you to understand that every single home reflected in this church has a challenge. And the challenge is, how do we have peace and harmony in the presence of sin? And when you see this resistance go back and forth, I say, I want to go eat at Johnny Carino's and Jaylene says, I want to go eat at Olive Garden. That idea of what I want versus what she wants is just evidence of the effect of sin. This challenge, these struggles, these strife, so many times you and I look at it and we think, I shouldn't have any problems. I shouldn't have any difficulties. I shouldn't have any challenges in life. And you do. Why? Because we live under the effect of sin. 
And we will look at young people today that are getting married and we'll just say, well, you know, if you just love each other enough, everything will be great. And that's a lie. Because they're going to have challenges. I'll hear young people and they'll say, well, me and, me and, me and my boyfriend, we, we've never had a fight. The Bible says you're going to have challenges. And yet we will go through life and we let challenges derail us. We let challenges define us. And we let challenges divide us. And yet how many times does God say in his word that this thing called a home, this thing called a family, it will be, it will be ripe with challenges. And when we face this resistance, it is a reminder. A reminder of what, Spence? Well, if you go back up there into chapter three, remember what Satan was telling Eve? He told Eve that, you know what? This is verse five of chapter three. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So part of the motivation for Eve eating the fruit and Adam eating the fruit is they wanted to be like God. And this idea that I want to be like God is still evident in the world today. If you go back there to chapter or chapter 3 and verse 16, what is he looking? He's looking at the woman and saying, because of the fall, because of your sin, you, and I'm just going to paraphrase, this is my understanding, you want to be God and he wants to be a God. And so you have two gods in the same relationship, both trying to be gods and it doesn't work. So when he says your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you, the imagery that I can picture, the imagery that I understand is that what God is saying is because you wanted to be a God and you wanted to be God and you're both going to be budding heads. That resistance is a reminder that neither one of you are God. Jaylene and I don't fight. We have very passionate disagreements. And these passionate disagreements, many times these passionate disagreements are stemming from the fact that I want what I want. I want my way. And she's not here to defend herself, but I think that if she was going to be honest with you and with me, some of the disagreements is because she wants what she wants. And you know what, young people, that is a reality that you will face the rest of your life. This challenge back and forth, this resistance, it reminds us that the challenge is real and the challenge is how do we both put aside our desire to be God and come and submit to the God. You know, if I told you today that I was going to run a half a marathon next week, one, I'd be lying to you, but number two, you would look at me and go, you know, well, so what, what is the challenges if you want to try to run a half a marathon? And if I looked at you and I said, well, you know what? The biggest challenges I'm going to face is the other runners. You know, those other runners, they can be treacherous. All those other runners, they can push me off course, you know, and it's really just going to be a challenge, the other runners. And we'll, we'll spend, will be another challenge. Well, another challenge would be the oxygen. Definitely the humidity in the air, that's really going to make a difference in the, in, in the challenge of me running half a marathon. While those two may be true, the reality is, is the greatest challenge that I'm going to face in running a half a marathon is me. And yet in our daily lives, a lot of times we want to look around and say, you know, the challenges that I face, it's everybody else. It's all these other problems. Everything is external. And we miss the greatest challenge that we have in peace and harmony with one another and peace and harmony in our, phone, in our homes is right here. My desire to be right. My insistence that I get my way. 
my arrogance and my pride that nobody is allowed to challenge me. It is internal instead of external. So God says, know the enemy. Know the challenge. The challenge is, is you have a husband and you have a wife that are going to be in conflict with one another as long as each other wants to be God. But then take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Because when we talk about building up families and we talk about God's plan for the family, I also want us to see together through the text the opportunity. The opportunity that we have in the plan of God. So we end up there in Genesis chapter 3 and you fast for hundreds of years and now you get down to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is writing to the church there in Ephesus and Paul is giving the instructions of how this Christian living looks like and how this Christian living is then played out in the family and in the home. So I want you to see when it comes to God's plans, he says, know the enemy, know the challenge, but then also know the opportunity. Now, this is not just a standalone text. You will find a similar text to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. So this isn't a one-off or a standalone thing. And once again, take a deep breath. This is all going to be okay. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Notice what the text says. Wives, submit to your own husbands and to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. He's not coming in and saying, well, I'm just going to line them out. I'm just going to line these women out. I'm just going to line the husband out. I'm just going to tell them this is what you're going to do. When he comes in and Paul is saying, God has a plan for your home. And I want to bust your bubble it's not about you. It's not about you. Your marriage is not about you. Your home is not about you. Your relationships are not about you. Where do I get that from? Well, he goes on in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, what does he say? He says, husbands, here we come to this responsibility. Verse 22 and verse 23 talks about the women's role. Now, verse 25, down through verse 27, talks about man's responsibility. What is man's responsibility? Man's responsibility is to, to so love his wife that it reflects the love of Christ has for the church. So the husband then loves his wife not because what he gets out of it. He loves his wife not conditionally with strings attached. He does not love his wife so that he is not challenged when he wants to sit in the recliner all weekend long and watch football. He loves his wife the way that Christ loves the church. Verse 28, in the same way. Husbands should love their wives of their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what is he saying? To the, 
the Spirit-inspired pen that Paul is using, what does it say? What Paul is telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that our homes are a testimony of worship. What do you mean our homes are a testimony of worship, Ben? He is saying that in your home, it'll reflect of who is your God. Are you your own God or is God your God? It's the question of who are you going to worship? So as the woman interacts with the man and as the man interacts with the woman and as the woman and the man live life and do life together in the view of the people watching, them, they will see who is it that they worship? What is it that they worship? How are they serving God by how they interact with one another? If I say, you know what? I love God with all my heart and I'm doing everything that God has led me to do. And yet I am harsh. I am insensitive. I am rude. I am mean. I am unloving to Jaylene. I am a liar. And in the same way, if you have a woman that says that she is being faithful and serving the Lord and loving the Lord with all of her heart, and yet she is not being faithful in even the word of God, she's a contradiction. So he says that our homes are an opportunity to, test, to be a testimony of worship. So he says here in this passage, you know what? The husband is to reflect Christ. The wife is to reflect the church. So as the church then follows Christ and as Christ then leads the church, you can come to a home, you can come to a family, you can come to a husband and wife and you can see this model laid out between that husband and a wife. It is to reflect a spiritual principle of Christ and the church. That's why I put there in your notes, not only our homes are a testimony of worship, but our homes are to reflect the church. Just as Christ leads the church, and the church presents itself to Christ. So in our homes, we have an opportunity to show Christ in our homes. How does that work, Spence? So that works like when you come to somebody's home and you're saying the only way they get along is because God's love is in them. The only way they get along is because of her mercy and her long suffering. The only reason they get along is because they are both serving Christ and fulfilling the word that Christ had given them to do. That is how they get along. It's the opportunity. It's the opportunity for people to come in and say, how in the world do this many people get along for so long on a Sunday morning? It's not because you're so great. It's not because I'm so awesome. It's because of the love of Christ in us. It's an opportunity to be a testimony. You will see people and they've been married 50 years and you go, well, how in the world do you stay married 50 years? And they'll always say something like, I just, I just lined him out or I just did everything she told me to or whatever the case may be and nobody has an opportunity to say, because God's grace. I started a book the other day that I was having to read for school and it said at the very beginning, to his wife, who, who I've only been married to for 27 years. And I thought that heading right there, I have only been married to for 27 years. I thought that was so sweet. Somebody says, well, Spence, how long have you and Jaylene been married? Oh, we've been married 17 years. And I thought, you know what I should say? We've only been married 17 years. And what a testimony it'd be if they look at you and they look at me and they look at our homes and they look at our children and they look at our marriages and they look at this church and they were to say, if it wasn't for Christ, there is no explanation. And that's what he's saying, that God has a plan. So in Genesis chapter three and Ephesians chapter five, he's reminding us that God has a plan. God has a plan for the home. God has a plan for the family. God has a plan for the marriage. And God has a plan even today for us. And that starts with knowing the enemy, to know the challenge, and to know the opportunity. So then how is it that we build family? So we come to these two texts this morning and we say, all right, Spencer, then what do we do? 
Give us something to walk out of the door. What is it that we need to do? Well, first of all, we need to guard our families. We need to guard against the enemy. We mean we need to guard against the enemy. Yeah, yeah, there's an enemy. There's an enemy that's constantly trying to attack your family. People put up security systems in their house. And they got cameras and they got motion detectors and they got, they got window monitors and they got all this stuff. Why? Because there's the possibility, there's the chance that there might be an intruder trying to come in and harm their home. That's a possibility. That is an outside chance. But I want you to know with something with 100% surety, Satan is after your children. You don't have to wonder, well, maybe, well, what if, well, is there a chance? Oh, I don't know. I can tell you with 100% certainty, and it doesn't depend on your zip code. It doesn't depend on your demographic. It doesn't depend on your education. It doesn't depend upon your age. It doesn't depend on anything. Satan is after you. Satan is after your family. Satan is after our children. And we have an opportunity as a church And we have an opportunity as parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, to guard against the enemy. And yet, so many times we assume because it comes on a screen, it must be good. We assume because they learn it in the schoolhouse, it must be okay. We assume because everybody else is doing it, that must mean that it's been properly vetted. You want to get an idea just how, just how godless your TV, your radio, or your phone has become. Take a break. Turn it off. Turn it off for 30 days. Desensitize, detox yourself. And then turn it back on. And see the commercials. Hear the innuendos. Listen to the language. See the godlessness that is rampant outside these walls. Guard against the enemy. We have to know there's an enemy. We have to know the enemy is continually trying to advance. Guard against the enemy. Secondly, prepare for the challenges. Prepare for the challenges. What do you mean prepare for the challenges? I'm telling you that challenges are coming. Either you have been in a challenge, you are in a challenge, or you're going to be in a challenge. The challenges will come, and they'll have different faces. They'll have different different circumstances. They'll have different beginnings. They'll have different endings. All these things, but these challenges will come. Well, how is it that I prepare for the challenge, Spence? I know what God's word tells me, and I know what God's word says I should do in response, and I know that God's word is true, and I know when all of these effects are trying to say, don't listen to this. Don't do that. Don't pay attention to this. We've changed the definition of that. Truth is relative. All these things are fluid. You and I can be prepared to say, thus saith the word of the Lord. But you don't prepare without being disciplined. You don't prepare without spending time. You don't prepare without intentionality. You don't prepare without knowing there's a reason to be ready. Prepare for the challenge. And lastly, reflect God's glory. Because in the end, this is what this is all about. This isn't about a long marriage. This isn't about a family that looks like it's all put together. This is all about God's glory. That's why in Ephesians chapter five, he says there in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. He wants you to understand. He wants me to understand that this thing called marriage, this thing called a family, this thing called a home, it is not meant to point praise upon me. It's meant to point praise to God. 
Because they all the way back in Genesis chapter three, God could have came in, he could have looked at Adam and Eve, and he could have said, very well, you chose to sin, and you chose to sin against me, I'm gonna wipe you out, and I am gonna destroy you, game over. But God doesn't do that. God looks at them and says, yes, you have sinned, yes, you have transgressed against me, but I still have a plan for you. And it's an opportunity that you and I can come back and we can look at our own families, we can look at the families in this church, and we can look at the people around us and we can say, yes, it is not perfect. Oh, yes, there is room for improvement. Yes, you will have good days and bad days. Yes, you will have regret. Yes, you will have moments that you look back with embarrassment. Or yes, there'll be times that you say we are faithful and successful in that. But you can look at all the families and say, despite of where you've been, God still has a place for you to go. And we build families by pointing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, I want to remind you that you've sinned as well. You have sinned against God and that sin carries a penalty of death, eternal hell. And you have an opportunity this morning to return and say, I know that I've sinned, but God sent his son to die for me. And the Bible tells us that if we repent and confess for our sin, we can be forgiven of our sin and saved. And the same hope that we have to give families today and to give homes today to tell them about the good news of Jesus that because regardless of where you've been there is hope for you tomorrow. The same thing can be true of you and I in this room. Regardless of where you've been there's hope in Jesus. Maybe an individual here this morning that may, may be far away from the Lord and maybe this morning is a day that you just need to say God here I am. Maybe there's a marriage here Maybe there's a marriage here this morning that you're in the thick of the challenge and you're fighting and you put on the face when you came into church but you know when you leave out of here it's going to be back to World War III. Maybe you're fighting and you're challenging this morning. I'm not going to tell you that he's right and I'm not going to tell you that she's right. I'm going to tell you that both of you have an opportunity this morning to submit to God. And to understand the challenge is just a reminder of the effect of sin. Or maybe you have a family here this morning and you say, well, my family looks like success in the eyes of the world, but is your family faithful to the Lord? Do you realize that you have an opportunity, both individual families and collectively as a church family, that we have an opportunity to point people to Jesus? Not point people to ourselves, but point people to Jesus. I don't know what it might be for you this morning. But I don't want you to leave here this morning without realizing and understanding that God has a plan for you. You bow your heads with me.